All right. Hey, can I, I want to start by just saying thank you. Um, and it's, um, it's a beautiful thing when the church ministers to you, right? And uh, you all ministered to me in, in just the singing of those words, hearing the church uh, sing the words of those songs together. It's a beautiful thing. Um, we are in uh, a series entitled Dead Man Walking as we go through this Easter season. Uh, there's notes for today's sermon in the Bible app. You can follow along there, uh, go to the events tab, and uh, find those, those notes there. Let me pray for us uh, as we get ready to open God's Word here on this Palm Sunday. God, we thank you for who you are. Uh, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And uh, Father, on this day, we celebrate a walk that he made that changed the course of history. And so I pray that as we open your word and as we uh, investigate that story, as we think about it, as we allow the Spirit to teach it to us again, that you would transform us. Uh, If we just sing songs and if we just feel good about you, that's one thing. But may we be transformed this morning by your word and by our worship of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My senior year of high school... I was playing basketball, and in one game, I, uh, uh, Sherry Allen's asking if she can have the Wi-Fi password on my iPad. (laughs) She's trying to follow me. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. We had a basketball game. I was a 6'3 sheep farmer that happened to play basketball, and this other team had a player by the name of Luke Zeller. Uh, Luke Zeller uh, was the 6'11 Mr. Basketball candidate who would go on to play in the NBA. Uh, Here he is really in the NBA, Uh, and so we had this beautiful matchup at North Davies High School between the 6'3 sheep farmer and the 6'11 future NBA star. Sometimes life just leaves you feeling a little short. You know what I mean? Sometimes we don't feel like we add up, that we measure up. And uh, this was definitely one of those days for me. I was the dead man walking on the court that day. I stood no chance. I had no chance at all. And I think for many of us, when we begin to think about our lives, especially our spiritual lives, we kind of feel like a 6'3 sheep farmer trying to guard a 6'11 NBA star feel like we're a little short. feel like maybe we can't do it. feel like maybe, uh, as Wes talked about in his story, right, we've kind of just been put on the shelf. We did our thing, and, and that's all there is for us. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that we end up feeling like a dead man or woman walking. It's, it's knowing that you didn't do the job that your boss asked you to do, and now it's evaluation time. You're a dead man walking into that office. It's knowing that you've messed up and that someone has found out your mistake. Someone has found out what you've done. It's knowing that um, you've had opportunities. Most recently for me, it's knowing that I've had the opportunity to walk across the street and get to know my neighbor, to share Jesus with him, only to open up a Facebook app one night and learn that he had died suddenly and unexpectedly and way too young from a heart attack. We all know that we're dead men walking in one way or another. There's all kinds of seasons and things in life that um, 
leave us feeling like we're a little shorthanded. We feel inadequate. We feel like everyone sees us as an easy target for ridicule. We feel incompetent. We overreact to compensate and we protect our weaknesses. And we think all those things and we feel all those things. And, and, and today I pray that we would turn to the scripture and be encouraged by the good news of Jesus. We hear about stories in scripture like Moses's, who repeatedly told God he couldn't be a leader because he didn't have the words to say. Or maybe we feel like a David who's hanging out in the back pasture because he's the youngest child. Certainly nobody could ever need him. We feel like Jeremiah's, who tried to be obedient, but he was so frustrated with all the suffering that came from his obedience. It was hard to follow God's call in his life, and we just want to give up. We feel like Zacchaeus's, who know that we aren't living a life of integrity or cutting corners. But we still want to climb a tree and get a peek at Jesus. You see what I'm saying is that deep down, all of us have this keen awareness at the center of who we are, that we are dead men and dead women walking. We don't stand a chance under our own power. And so we make excuses to avoid places that we might fail. We hide when we fear we might get hurt. We complain about our challenges while forgetting that they come with a calling. We isolate ourselves when we know that our integrity is lacking. We know, right? We know that we're dead men walking. You know, Jesus might not have given in to the excuses or the hiding or the isolation or even complaining. But let me tell you, as we think about his walk on this Palm Sunday, he knew the emotions of being a dead man walking. He knew them well. Last week, uh, Daniel Bright did an incredible job preaching the story of a man named Lazarus to us. Lazarus was a man that Jesus had raised from the dead, and, and we considered, as we read the text in John chapter 12, we considered the response from various people who saw Lazarus as a dead man who was now walking. He walked with Jesus through town, and many were amazed. Many were amazed, as I hope I would be. But some of them were ready to kill him. This is too weird. A dead man walking? We need to get rid of him. And so today, we're going to continue that story as Jesus goes on a walk of his own, one that has gone down in history. So if you've got your Bibles, find John chapter 12 with me. Last week, we read verses 9 through 11, and today we pick up right there in verse 12. If you don't have it, we've got a copy on the wall here. Uh, from time to time, people ask me, what is the CSB? Uh, at the end of the, the passage there, that stands for Christian Standard Bible. It's uh, one translation of the text, and uh, one that I've found helpful in preaching. So, John 12, beginning in verse 12 through 19. It says, the next day, so this is after Lazarus and Jesus had been walking through town. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, and they kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Well, his disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd, which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. 
And this is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. And then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I love this story. I love this account of uh, Jesus' walk through and into Jerusalem. Because you see, Jesus walked the walk so that you and I could talk the talk. He walked the walk so that you and I could talk the talk. He was a dead man walking. Making this kind of entrance into Jerusalem during the festival, which was Passover, something very sacred in their religion, doing this would seal his fate. This would ensure that he was seen as an outright rebel. He didn't stand a chance the moment that he rode in through those gates, and he knew it. He knew it. But he walked the walk anyway so that you could talk the talk. And you say, wait a second, Blake. How, how do we know that Jesus knew he was a dead man walking? How do we know that? How do we, like, are we inside of his brain? How do we know? Well, as we read this story, there's a curious little thing in there. Jesus comes on a donkey. Like, why did he come on a donkey? Right? Verses 14 and 15, oh, they're hailing him as king, and he's, he's found a young donkey and sat on it. And it says, just as it is written. It says that because the, verse 15 is, is a, a quote, a, a fulfillment of a prophecy that we read in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. See if this sounds familiar. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'm going to read verse 10 because it's helpful for later. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the end of the earth. You see, we know that Jesus knew he was a dead man walking because he realized that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. There was a reason that he went and got a donkey and rode it into Jerusalem, and it was because he knew the plan that God had laid for him, and he was obedient to it. This is a really interesting way to study the, the resurrection and the coming of Christ. In fact, in our Dead Man Walking community groups this week, we're going to dig even deeper into some of these prophecies and, and what it meant that Jesus was the coming Messiah. We've got eight of those groups. There's a link in the Bible app. You can still get into one of those, all right? Let me encourage you to do that. But here's something interesting that we have to consider. If Jesus chose to ride in a donkey to fulfill this prophecy, he knew that he was also the fulfillment of some other prophecies that we read. And some of those other prophecies don't talk about a coming king. They talk about a dying savior. He would have known what was written in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 10. If you, if you get nothing else, please tune into this scripture today. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. Instead, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. 
And yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see a seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day on a donkey, he knew that he was the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, the king, humble, coming to bring peace. But he also knew that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, the one who would be crushed, for each person that he passed, for each person that sits here today, he would take upon himself all of the wrongs that should belong to you and I. He knew he was a dead man walking, and he chose to walk the walk anyway. And that causes us to ask why. If Jesus knew he was a dead man walking, why make the journey? Couldn't you come up with another way Wouldn't it be a lot easier to be the king and then figure out a way out? Well, one, it was just right. It was fulfillment. It was obedience to his Father in heaven. But the second is something that that I've, I've just missed in this story. You see, when he walked the walk that day, it created an opportunity for people to share Jesus and for those who heard to believe. It's easy to to skip over the fact in this passage that there are two crowds in the story. Check it out with me. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, it says, The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival, that is Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, right? So here's one crowd, the crowd that had just come to Jerusalem to be a part of the Passover celebration. But then we skip down to verse 17. It says, Meanwhile, the crowd, which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. You see, there was the crowd that has heard about Jesus, and then there was the crowd who had been with Jesus. The crowd who had heard about Jesus, they, they worshipped, they, they shouted Hosanna, they recognized him as the king, the coming Messiah. But the crowd who had been with him, they testified, and they were encouraged to talk that talk because Jesus was walking the walk. I love it. Can you begin to picture this? You've got the crowds praising, and Jesus is coming in on a donkey, and all up and down the streets, it's like the people at Disney World that are trying to sell you glow sticks, right? They're like, listen, this guy, he is the real deal. Let me tell you what I saw this God do. He raised a man from the dead, Lazarus, like he was walking through town yesterday, but three days before that, he was dead, right? They're testifying to what they had seen God do. And so today, the question I would ask of you is, which crowd are you in? 
Which crowd are you in? Are you in the crowd that has heard about Jesus? He seems like a really big deal and a good thing. And you're willing to say, oh yeah, I, I believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God. Or are you in the crowd of people that has been with him? The crowd of people that have no choice but to just testify. To tell others in your life, to tell those that you come into contact with, that you have seen this God do amazing things. John 15.8, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus is speaking to his disciples And he says this, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You see, what you do doesn't always show who you really are. But who you are always shows in what you do. What you do doesn't always show who you really are, but who you are always shows in what you do. If you are unable to tell people what you have seen Jesus do, maybe you don't feel like you've seen him do anything, maybe you just you struggle, I don't know, but if you're unable to do that, you have to ask if you've been with Jesus or if you've merely heard about him. Have you always thought of him as your savior, the one who saves you from your sins without having been in a relationship with him where he becomes your Lord, where he begins to dictate what you do with your life and and he begins to be the one that takes priority in your conversation and in the way you handle yourself in relationships? You say, why does it matter if, if I'm saved? Isn't that enough? But you see, it's our, it's our obedience to him that gives us the confidence to continue to walk with him. 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, says this. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. Did you catch that? The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The story of Jesus should be permeating your story. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. And then he says this. I love it. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life. You see the difference between being in the crowd who has heard of Jesus and being in the crowd that has been with him. The way that you know the difference is that you have this utmost confidence in him. You can walk toward the unknown without worry. You don't worry about what you will achieve and you can walk in confidence without worrying. Verse 19 helps to peel all this out, right? We've talked about the crowds. But looking on as Jesus, the rebel, the dead man walking, comes into town are the Pharisees. It says, then the Pharisees said to who? Who's to say? To one another. You see, you've accomplished nothing. They're starting to fight. They're looking at each other. They're trying to base their worth and their value on, on what they've accomplished. You see, you've accomplished nothing. 
Look, the world has gone after him. You see, when you've heard of Jesus, you may praise him like the first crowd. You may fear him like the Pharisees did. But if you know him, you know that he came to bring this unusual peace. And it's a peace that allows you to walk without worry. In this life, you may achieve many great things, but you allow yourself, when you have Jesus walking with you, to quit being defined by your accomplishments because he's already walked the walk. No longer are you worried about climbing the ladder at work or about doing the next best thing to prove to someone that you are good enough. You work to love people well, yes, but you are not agonized wondering what people think of you because you realize and have confidence that he purchased your identity on the cross. You are his. No longer are you worried about how others value you. You know with great confidence that your value is attached to the king of the universe. And his commands, they're not burdensome anymore because they are no longer the way that you earn your salvation or your spot in this world, but rather the joyful overflow of Jesus walking in your life day by day. That's how you know. And yet, each day, right, there are going to be unknowns that are hard for each of us to walk towards. This idea of talking the talk, sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel with someone is always going to come with a sense of anxiety. There's something about it that's it's difficult, but Jesus walked the walk so that you could talk the talk. I so appreciate Wes, right? I don't always ask at 5 o'clock on Saturdays. There were some circumstances, okay? But he also recognizes, because I know his walk with the Lord, that the Lord is doing something in his walk, or at least he should be. And if he can't give testimony to that, right, then what are we here for? How can we share what God is doing in our lives right now? But there are other unknowns, too, that are difficult. Perhaps most is restoring situations or relationships that have just been screwed up by sin. You think, I screwed up, and our marriage is hurting. But when we have that peace of knowing Jesus, and when we're walking with Him, and He's a part of that daily walk, we have this unusual peace this confidence because he is the king of peace and he fills us with that and we're able somehow to just muddle through those things. It's not easy, it's not pretty, but we can walk towards him with the confidence that the Lord is going to be with us and he's going to work those things out. The same is true when we've messed up at work and your job is in jeopardy. Maybe you've lied and there's a friendship that's fading. Maybe things have changed over the years and, and the relationship just seems too hard to repair. Sin has created division. And yet, when we know Jesus, when we've been with him, when we've seen him continue to do great things in our lives and in the lives of others, we're able to walk with confidence toward those unknown, to walk without worrying. Five years ago this week was our very first Sunday in Governor's Square. Came up on my Facebook timeline feed, uh, I've got a picture, I think, of some of the crowd that was here. Um, you may recognize some people. I think there's Dave Sullivan squatting down there in the corner. Uh, tell by the glasses. I love the story of moving into this building for a variety of reasons. Uh, there were so many unknowns. So many unknowns. It was crazy. 
And there were a lot of days when many of our leaders were like, I don't know. I don't know if this is what, I don't know. And one of those days was Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, we didn't have the permits to meet in this building, and we had told everyone we're having Easter in this building. So we are on the phone, we're trying, like, we're doing everything that we can. And a Saturday morning, finally, the inspector comes. She had broken her something in her leg, and so she's on one of those carts, carting around all this square footage, checking all these things. Like Saturday morning, and we're like, she's got to say yes. She's got to say yes. And she said yes. But that was just one part of the story. There was one day where, by faith in God, more than $70,000 was given just to move in. Right? And the rest of it came in in a six-month period. It was, it was incredible to watch God work, to walk towards those unknowns. But you know what was neat in those days and in those walking of unknowns? It wasn't the faith of one person. It wasn't that, you know, we just we figured it all out or that we had a really, like, we did all the right things or checked all the right boxes. It was really neat to watch because in those days where we were walking by faith towards this space that we felt like God had called us to, we watched as people in the church, all kinds of people in the church, began to walk with him in deeper relationship. They circled back and, and recommitted. They, they dove back in. As Wes talked about, right? I got prayed up, read up, all those things upped so that I could figure out what I was going to do this time around. And it was those things. It was our recommitment to walking with the Lord that gave us the confidence that He was going to do something great again. Prayerfully, and hopefully, our church will continue to walk towards unknowns. We're walking in many of them now, right? What's next? What do we do with that whatever gaggle of kids back there? Like, what, like Lord, what do we do with that? God, we know we're supposed to be helping a, plant a church in Henry County. We're not totally sure what that looks like, but what do we do with that? We know we're supposed to be, like, keep planting churches, so we're going to start this internship, but we have no idea what that looks like, but people are coming, so here we go. Please, please, Father, let us yearn and lean in together. That collectively, as a church, right, we would talk the talk because Jesus walked the walk and did amazing things in our presence and that he, we would have the confidence that he was doing that because of our walk with him. May we make Jesus the Lord of our lives so that we don't have to worry while we do all of these great things that we walk in the unknown for. But it's not something that one person does. It's not the faith of one. It's the faith of many in the church. We all have to flap what I call our spiritual wings. It's no shock geese fly in a V formation. We talk about it. It's an illustration and all kinds of things. But I did learn something new about that this week, so of course I'm going to share that with you. 
When we talk about geese flying in a V, many talk about how it, it distributes the effort and the energy, and we all work together, and that's true. It's very true. You got the guy out front, right, the little goose out front, and he's taking on the biggest headwind, and then everybody has reduced energy from there. But there's also something really interesting about that flying V. When something is flying, be it a plane or a bird, and they flap their wings or they move through the air, right, the, the, the wind directly behind them pushes things down, and the wind just out to the side of them pushes things up, okay? That's why they fly in a V. They get in that little, little up drag right there, okay? I don't know if up drag's a word. Sounds great. They're in the up drag. So here's the thing. We think that that, that bird up at the front, he's taking on all the wind for everybody, and everybody can just coast from there. But that updraft, that updrag, it's continued by each bird in line that flaps its wings. You see, it stops as soon as someone stops flapping. It's about each bird flapping their wings to keep the updraft going. There's not a single goose who is simply along for the ride. And more than that, it's not about the accomplishment of any one bird, but rather the completion of the journey by the birds. Success is measured by all the birds getting to Florida. I mean, I want to get to Florida. Do you see where I'm going? We all have to flap our wings. Because something very important happens when you flap your spiritual wings. The bird behind you. The bird behind you is able to flap theirs. This week I had lunch with Alan Witham. Alan is uh, another former pastor elder of our church, very wise man, friend, and mentor. And we sat down to lunch. Um, we were getting ready to go up to the salad bar, and our waitress came by. And we had just finished praying, and our, our, our waitress, her name was Laura, she said, I wish you'd wait a second. I, I'd had something to add to that prayer. That's pretty cool. So Alan jumps right on it, right? He's like, well, we can pray again. What do you got? What, like, we're ready. And for the next several minutes, we sat and we had this conversation with her about what her spiritual story was, if she knew Jesus or not. We invited her to church. We asked hey, Alan. I say we. Alan did all of this. He asked if she knew Jesus or if she just heard of him, right? It was incredible. And for me, as I sat and watched, it didn't matter in that moment whether Alan was successful or he failed. I'm not even sure how to define that necessarily in that moment. What mattered was that he tried and that he flapped his spiritual wings. Because you better believe that I was a whole lot more excited and ready and encouraged and challenged to go flap my spiritual wings after watching Alan flap his. You see, when we hear someone share their story of what God's doing in their life, we're encouraged to try. And when we see someone identify with the gospel through baptism, his, his death, his burial and resurrection, your death to self, your burial in the water, your resurrection to a new life, like when we see that, we're encouraged to try. When we hear of someone giving sacrificially, we're encouraged to try. When we see a team of people step out and say, you know what, I think God can use me to go plant this church, we're encouraged to try. And those are the positive sides. But 
we think about it negatively just a moment. If I don't flap my spiritual wings and tell someone else about Jesus, who keeps that updraft going? Who is it? You see, we need each other more than what we ever realize. We can't forget what's at stake here. Certainly the souls of our family members, our friends, our neighbors. But more than that, right? There's more than that. It's generations of people who will come after us in Shelby County, where four out of five people are wandering souls not connected to Christ and his church. It's more than that. It's this rural golden triangle where a couple of generations ago, Christ ruled and the church reigned and that was the place to be, and now 88% are lost. You see, ultimately, the advancement of God's kingdom is riding on the wind that we are flying through, and we must flap our spiritual wings. Jesus has walked the walk. Could you just talk the talk? There are dead men, women, and children stumbling around everywhere, waiting on a dead man walking to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So would you flap your spiritual wings? Not for you, but for your brothers and sisters. We need the whole flock of geese to get to our destination with Christ in heaven in a kingdom that is eternal. Some of you today need to say yes to Jesus. You've heard of him, but you've not been with him. He's your savior, but he's not your Lord. You can't see it now, but your response to Christ has an impact on the generations after you. So I ask you, what's holding you back from flapping your wings and saying yes to Jesus today? Some of you need to quit cowering in the shadows of your sin. Get free from it, knowing that when you do, you help others to avoid carrying the burden of your sin. Flap your spiritual wings. And folks, all of us need to share Jesus this week. Of all weeks, this one is easy. The entire country is talking about Easter. So go flap your spiritual wings and talk the talk about Jesus, who has walked the walk before your very eyes. Let's fly together, church. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray and just confess to you in my own life first that in this recent season, I'm not flapping my wings. I'm flying for me. So, Father, I, I seek your forgiveness and I repent of that. But as we all respond to you today, I pray that your spirit would give leadership to each of our hearts and our minds. That you would speak directly and clearly about the next step that we need to take. What you did that day in Jerusalem coming into town on a donkey, knowing that it was the beginning of the end. It's incredible. Father, burden our hearts with what you did for us while at the same time giving us great joy in knowing the end of the story. That we have freedom in you, forgiveness in you, 
that you walk the walk so that we could talk the talk and share of all the amazing things that you've done in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for dying and for coming back to life. Bring life in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we respond to the gospel, to that good news that Jesus is alive. We invite you to come forward, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, the symbolic of Christ's body that was broken on the cross for you. His blood that was shed for you to forgive you, to give you that new life. We celebrate in that. If you've never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd love to talk with you about that. And I'll be in the starting point room. And uh, as we respond in this time, we're also going to sing. And if you want to give, there's some cans in the back to give before Dave comes up and prays for our offering. But whatever it is today, you got to flap your spiritual wings, right? There's someone behind you that needs you to flap your spiritual wings so that the updraft helps to carry them to their next step. Don't leave here without that today as we respond to Jesus. Would you stand and sing?